Hello, everybody. This is Natalie Griffin, host of the show show, and this is the show show number dose. I just wanted to record a little pre-intro before this one. Uh, this is an interview that I did with my comedy mentor and longtime showrunner and comedy person, Jerry Przygian. He was a showrunner on The Jeffersons once upon a time. He worked on The Golden Girls. He's a generally very hilarious human. And I wanted to record a pre-intro just because he and I recorded this interview in a noisy sports bar in Cobble Hill in Brooklyn. So there will be some background noise, just to warn you. All right, without further ado, here we go. All right, I'm in a very noisy sports bar with Jerry Prezigian. Now I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. I think you should identify that it's Brooklyn. Brooklyn all of a sudden is significant. That's true. Hold on, let me figure this out. We're set up very haphazardly on a table in Cody's, what is this place? Cody's Bar and Ale House? Cody's Ale House. Cody's Ale House, all right. What, who's going to be hearing this nonsense? Um, that remains to be seen. So I'm putting together a podcast every couple of, either maybe every week, maybe like once every two weeks, and I'm just going to be putting it out there. I'm going to put it on iTunes and stuff. Under what auspices? Just yourself? or? Yeah, so it's called The Show Show. It's a show about making a show as told by somebody who's never made one before. Uh-huh. And so it's just a bunch of interviews and or ramblings that are related to that. I'm pretty sure, and I'm not trying to be a smartass, that everybody who's ever made a show, at least at one point, had never made a show before. And what will be most interesting is after you're like wildly successful to go back and listen to this shit. Right. I'm like, oh man, I knew nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Every, every, every significant artist, whether it's rock and roll, acting, writing, that I've ever talked to, sincerely, I, I hope, I hope sincerity will be allowed. Yes, sincerity yeah. is allowed. Um, has told me the same thing that the beginning garage band stage was the most fun it's later with success comes bullshit but when you're just like hungry and raw and young and aspiring that's when it's fun once you're in a loft overlooking the city it's boring but 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 do you think do you think that people who are hungry and raw and young take the time and have the appreciation to like love that stage I think they don't no I think that they like it like as a nostalgic thing in the future so yeah. they go back and they're like oh remember when right and then they so, think about it like that which no, is really no, sad no so what I'm recommending what, like, like where this podcast might be useful if there's any young raw aspirers listening right. they can stop and say wow I like where I I'm right. very serious. Enjoy like your shitty apartment that you're sharing with too many people. Yep. Enjoy that time. Yep. Enjoy accidentally ending up in random places like the New York governor's birthday party. Does does the listeners know what you're talking about? No. Yeah. So yeah, yesterday I ended up at, well actually we should introduce you as well, but to go to my side story. Um, so a friend of a friend owns the biggest production studio out here in Brooklyn, um, Steiner Studios. No, in all of New York. In all of New York, yeah. yeah. And so he invited me to go with him to the New York governor's, Governor Cuomo, his birthday party and Broadway private showing thing. And so I got to meet Cuomo, which was cool. Um, and he's a nice guy, very nice guy. Shook my hand very firmly. And I got to meet a lot of politicians. And Natalie's now able to confirm what I told her, that Hollywood, that Washington, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. Right. Same dynamic, different appearances. Right. The same shtick. So we should introduce you. 
This is Jerome Przygian. Please, how would you introduce yourself? I don't want to do it injustice. Tall, thin man wearing a cheap watch. There we go. Tall, thin man wearing a cheap watch. You heard it here. I had a Rolex. I gave it away because A, there was a Rolex bandit that was like like cutting people's wrists off to steal Rolexes in LA, but also because I have a degenerate, impoverished brother and I gave it to him. And I'm happier with a Timex. I honestly am happier with a Timex. Same numbers, same time, same everything. It's right. not pretentious. Right. So to introduce him as a real human, Jerry was one of my, is one of my mentors in comedy. He wrote for The Golden Girls and for The Jeffersons and for What Else Do You Want to put there on your resume first job was the Jeffersons first job was the Jeffersons and should we start right in with an anecdote yeah first okay I never do like a summary of of what you've done and then anecdote please I've done many many shows that your listeners have heard of and many that they have not and it's random I wish that no I I don't really wish I was going to say I wish that we could control our destinies a little more but I think part, a huge part of the fun of the entertainment business, if you want to call it that, is that it is not logical. It's not figure outable. It's um, random. And randomness can be looked at either as uh, detriment or it could be looked at as interesting and exciting. And for me, it's been interesting and exciting. And I, I, you know, like, like I'm in a slump now and I don't care. I mean, it's like the slump is the flip side of success. They both, what's that if, um, Rudyard Kipling poem, um, if, and he's telling the young man, if you can treat success and failure the same, if you could treat those two imposters the same, then you are a man, my son. I love the idea that success and failure are both imposters. But um, uh, back to me, I accidentally, I didn't know anything about how to break in. Somebody told me about spec scripts. You write a bunch of spec scripts. Somebody either reads it or doesn't read it. Somebody read mine on the same day that a staff writer had a nervous breakdown. They needed to fill that hole. Hey, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, I want to do it. So next thing you know, I'm on the staff of 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 a network series that... Uh, at that time, was floundering. But was this the Jeffersons or is this something? Jeffersons, and it was floundering. Fifty-third out of fifty-five shows on network TV at that time, early '80s, and then because everything is random, through no volition of mine, the network was having their meetings for the next season. And when they're putting their big board on the wall, instead of Wednesdays at 7.30 or whatever time it was, they said, let's put it on Sundays after 60 Minutes. So this moribund, um, mediocre uh, show suddenly went after 60 Minutes, which was highly rated, and catapulted to the top 10. So they got four or five more, I don't even remember, this is four or five years of my life, and I don't even remember. But it got, it got resuscitated completely randomly. So anybody that tells you in show business that he knows what he's doing is a liar. So you don't know why it got resuscitated? Yeah, because it was on Sundays after 60 Minutes. That's all. That was it. The lead-in. The lead-in. The, lead the show was the same. No, I would like to say with all humility that I made the show better. It was shit, and then it became mediocre. Mm-hmm. And I did that. 
Yeah. Power of mediocrity. That's Jerry's specialty. Um, oh, and that was with, was that the one with Norman Lear? Did you work with Norman Lear for that show? Yeah. I love that story that you told us in class. The one about, I think it was the car accident in the bridge or something. Yeah, we were working, but the Hollywood Freeway at Sunset Boulevard did not have any protection over the causeway, the bridge, the, the pedestrian bridge over the, now there's a cage, you can't jump into the traffic. But at that time you could, and a guy did. And he jumped into traffic and suicided himself. And we're all aghast and looking out the window, oh my God. And somebody said, is that Norman leaning over the corpse? And it was. And I said, what the fuck? Can I say Do it. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is he doing leaning over the corpse? And then one of the wits on our staff uh, said, I know what he's doing there. He's having to poor schmuck rewrite his suicide note. Yeah. <laughs> and I so thought that was funny because rewriting was a major, major staple of all, of, 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 of everybody's show, but uh, especially his. He was very um, fond of making us do things over and over and over and over again. Right. Even suicide notes. And, even su <laughs> and rewriting, while we're on the subject, we're going to just... Free associate. Free Rewriting is often useful, often essential, <clears throat> but equally often in network TV, it's bullshit and it's people trying to justify their jobs. And the writing not only is sideways, but it's often deleterious to the original uh, product. So, so <clears throat> I have mixed feelings about rewriting. Got it. You you should. So you don't want to overbake kind of thing, or you know, do so many drafts that it becomes like everything else. I think I heard an English person's metaphor. You're over egging the custard. Ah, uh, that's a great metaphor. Yeah. Because then it becomes tasteless or gross yeah. or wrong. What do we say? We say gilding the lily. Is gilding the lily anything you've heard of? No, I've heard of, the, of a gilded lily before. Yeah. I don't know why. But if you, but if you're if you're gilding a lily that's already been gilded, you're doing it too much. But I like over-egging the custard. Let's yeah. Leave, let, yeah. That sounds like bad custard. So so so, it's hard to uh, talk about definitively, but know when rewriting is beneficial and essential, and know when it's bullshit. Yeah. That's a, uh, just to be a little prurient uh, question. I've always, I don't know any, very closely any lesbians, but I always wonder how lesbians know when to stop. <laughs> like when the climax is done? Just when they're done, yeah. I don't it's know. True. I no, know when the boys no are done. <laughs> yeah. That could go for any woman, though, straight or gay. How do they know when it's done? Oh, good point. But yeah. then there's the whole multiple orgasm thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Is that a real? Is that yeah, real? it's yeah. a real thing. Gotta explore, Jerry. Well, something to look forward to. Right, exploring that. Uh, let's see. What was the last job that you had in a writer's room? It was the best damn sports show period on Fox Sports Net on cable. And it was, like I said, lower pay, not, um, I like scripted TV, I like telling stories, I like a beginning, middle, and an end, I like long scenes, character development, uh, when writing is about something other than just the joke, but, but, but this show was about basically just the joke. But it was about sports, and I love sports. 
sports, um, you can't, you can bullshit in showbiz. There are a lot of worthless, talentless, ignorant hacks making not just some money, but lots of money in show business. Because somebody can say, oh, I really think Two Broke Girls is funny. But, but, but there are people making not just a little bit of money, but a lot of money generating, and they start to believe their own press, and they think that they are witty and insightful and funny <coughs> when they're not. But in sports, if you hit a line drive double down the right field line, and it drives in two runs, there's nobody who could say, oh, I'm sorry, that double was nine feet off the ground. I would have preferred that the line drive had been eight feet off the ground, so we're gonna have to discount it and come back and do it again. That doesn't happen in sports. That happens every day in network television. And that is my bet noir, and that is why I like sports, because there's no, there's no bullshit. It's just, there's no subjectivity, it's just, either you do it or you don't, you, hit, you make the basket or you don't make the basket. But in TV, but on the other hand, Natalie, I was just telling you that some of the um, uh, vagueness or ephemerality or luck of show business, that's part of the fun too. Like if you want certainty, who, who was the guy that said this, the big successful sitcom? Oh, Chuck Lorre. If you want certainty, try accounting. Yeah. And I like that, that we're not accounting. And, you know, just as easily as you can have bad luck, you can have good luck. So, so, yeah. So, so do you say that that's, like, maybe your favorite thing is kind of like the amorphousness of it that's so exciting, or the meeting of people? For me, it's I end up meeting a lot of different people just because yeah. of talking about, it, like, these ideas, and that seems to, that's one of my favorite parts about writing stuff. What's your favorite part about being involved in entertainment? Yeah, I think you, I think that, I, I don't know that I would phrase it exactly that way, but the very fact that, like TV writing as opposed to novel writing or as opposed to movie writing is so collaborative and so um, dependent on other people's involvement and opinions and even challenges. That is the fun of it. That is the fun of it. And there's a certain social pleasure attendant with coming to an office every day and, hey, Bill, how you doing? Hey, Cindy, hey, bring me a cup of coffee. Uh, there's a certain uh, 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 social pleasure that goes along with that. But also the, um, the idea that I don't think comedy just comes out of one brain. So if you're doing a comedy show, the, then the, the counter opinions uh, of others uh, helps and makes it better and um, I don't know like sitting alone in a room and writing a novel sounds boring uh, it's very different it's just very solitary mm -hmm. and occasionally sad mm -hmm. and full of self-doubt mm -hmm. and that's why some writers or a lot of them kill, kill themselves, themselves. Yeah. yeah exactly I didn't know you were gonna say that. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Also, I experienced the worst depression of my life for the first few weeks that I was in LA. I think just because I felt so alone. Like in New York, you get to, oh, you, didn't you know, tell me that. actually crippling depression, it was horrible. For two or three weeks, I laid in my bed. I didn't want to get up, I didn't want to eat, I didn't want to move. Okay, well, this I shouldn't share this. You need to. Especially with a microphone. But the only time in my life I was depressed I was 27, I lived in Chicago, I was working at an advertising agency, and um, 
that already is whorish and horrible and self-destructive. But in order to satisfy like a desire for more um, um, intellectual conversation, I took a University of Chicago extension course in Freudian interpretations of literature. Okay, fine, interesting. Um, but at the same time, my college roommate was in medical school, and when you're in medical school, you have to study 12 weeks of OBGYN, 12 weeks of, uh, um, I don't know, emergency room, 12 weeks of psychiatry. So he was during the 12 weeks of psychiatry, and he gave me one of his textbooks, and it was called Neuroses and Psychoses. So I still can look at the ugly gray cover of that book. I'm reading Neuroses and Psychoses and discovering how many of them I had. And then I'm taking uh, uh, Freudian interpretations of literature. And at the same time, I'm lacerating myself for being an advertising agency whore. And I got depressed. And I got like, is this older? Is is this my life? Is this what my future is going to be? And, and I don't know how to say it. The day's lost vitality. Yeah. I would honestly walk past, I worked on the 17th floor of a Michigan Avenue office building and would walk past that window and say, what's to keep me from just opening it and jumping out? And um, um, my advice for anybody who's contemplating suicide right now, <laughs> bypass your brain with sensuality. Play basketball, smell perfume, eat chicken soup, sex works also, but just find sensual ways to bypass thought, bypass cerebral thinking, and then you'll be fine. Going to the gym, uh, we're in a bar right now that's less than a mile from the Brooklyn Bridge. Two patrons of this bar, regulars that I have shared cocktails with, maybe even drank one that they paid for, have jumped off. Do you know this? Yeah, I think you told me this because what were you saying? It's funny what because was the quote? somebody told you something about it. Earlier in this podcast, I mentioned that the proprietor here is wittier than any of you fuckers in Hollywood. But <laughs> um, he told me that without knowing it was ironic or funny, but it was brilliantly funny that one of the two of the people here jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge and one survived. One did not. But the one who did, he said, you know, what can you say? You can survive a jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, so therefore, you break a few bones, and therefore, it's just a cry for help. However, just a few miles to the south is the Verrazano Bridge, which is much higher. If you jump off the Verrazano Bridge, no way to survive that certain death. And this is what he said, this is a suicide you can respect. <laughs> because they really meant it. They knew there was no chance. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it's so dark. Horrible. It's dark, but it's funny. It is. Comedy brings levity to all. Perry Farrell. I don't know if any of your listeners are uh, old enough to know who Perry Farrell is. The heroin addict lead singer of Jane's Addiction. On one of the liner notes of one of their albums, he pointed out in just a little corner blurb, among many other blurbs, nobody made fun of Hitler. I find that to be profound. If anyone had made fun of Hitler, maybe he would not have gripped the consciousness of those idiots to the extent that he did, and they might have laughed at him. So anybody who feels fun, who feels free to make fun of Trump, 
I so encourage it. Also, when did you move to New York from LA? I don't even know. I'm proud to say that I don't know. All my life, I've wanted to be here. I used to come here in television. The month of April, the months of April and May are always hiatus time unless you're making a pilot. And so whenever I could, I would come here. And May is the greatest time to come here because um, buds are budding and grass is shooting out of the ground and temperatures are warming and clothes are coming off. It's just the most warm, inviting, sexy time of the year to be in New York. And so I always like wanted to be here, but our industry is in LA. And so I, I always say we're like migrant workers. If you want to work in TV, you have to go like a Mexican picking beans in the San Joaquin Valley. You have to go to Los Angeles if you want to be a writer. I hope that that will change. But here was always more vital and interesting. And all my friends would go to Tahiti or Hawaii. Oh, we have to, we have to decompress and fuck that. I have to go to New York and get more charged up. So um, I went to Moscow. I went to Russia in 2010. I went to Moscow to produce uh, Married with Children in Russia. And Moscow is like New York. Moscow is 24-7, busy, busy, subways, people on the street, um, um, active action. And so I thought, I love this, why don't I? So I had to go back to LA for some job. And then later around maybe 2012, I came here. Uh, first, nobody cares about me, but my personal, I never did anything without money in the bank, without a plan, without a job. I never took any chances. This was the first risk. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just gonna plunge. And it turned out great. I love it here, I love it here. Right. I know that you hate, well, maybe hate is a strong word, but very much dislike LA. Um, but what are, let's say, say three, you'll say hate. So hate LA. So what about, what are three redeeming qualities? To Los Angeles. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me three hateful. No, that's too easy. You just frothed them out about all the things that are wrong. But I need faith because I'm living there right now. Okay, redeeming. Instead of my kindred spirit, New York. Redeeming. So I, need hope. I might not come up with three, but I'll try. Redeeming. Okay. King's Road Coffee, King's Road Cafe Coffee was one of them. Let's count that as well. It's that really was great. good, strong, Super like my good. grandma's Turkish coffee. Yeah, that's good. Um, two more. Um, there are. Uh, there is culture, but you have to dig and scratch and claw. It's far. It's harder to find. There's culture. There are museums. There are readings. There are smart people. There's a one guy. I don't even know his name. <laughs> this is going to be like a sort of a reverse couple, uh, answer to your question. Mm -hmm. Like a backhanded. Yeah, he was an East Coast Jewish author who wrote. He moved from New York to Los Angeles not to write for television, not to write for movies, but to write f serious fiction, like a novel. And I don't even know his name, but I remember reading the review of his no first novel, and the first sentence was so profoundly great, brilliant, funny, witty. He said, it took me 33 years to use up New York. Los Angeles I used up on the ride in from the airport. <laughs> and <laughs> so, I I mean, I know what he means, like, but um, that's not really a compliment to the, to Los Angeles. But there is culture; you just have to dig harder to find it. I think it's just so spread out that it becomes harder to find those people, at least serendipitously. There's no serendipity; it's very destiny. I always based. say human contact is limited by distance. I the first time I got there, I 
parenthetical, you, Natalie, heard me tell this joke before, but I'm going to say it on record anyway because it's profoundly true. How do you say fuck you in Hollywood? This was day one when I got there. How do you say fuck you in Hollywood? I don't know. Trust me. Trust me. So, okay, let's bypass all the implications of that, but it's true. But um, I met a friend, a person, a female of the other gender that I wanted to know better. My friend said, nah, you don't want her. Why? She's G-U. I said, what's G-U? I have no idea. Geographically undesirable. So that's another example of what Los Angeles does to to inhibit the connection. So she was too far? She lived too far away. Yeah. Long time to drive, too much traffic. And I, I, like I said, L.A. limits human contact by distance. Well, since we have to go to the acting showcase soon, what advice do you have for young writers aspiring in this day and age to be something? You know what? I hate to say this. I hate to say this, except that it's 100% true that anybody can turn out to be somebody. So talk to everybody. Um, I don't want to say trust everybody, but open yourself up to everybody. You have to do the work first. You have to have material to show. You have to prove that you can do the job. So that means spec scripts, that means original pilots, that means original material. <coughs> that when you do meet anybody who could be somebody, that you have something to give to them. But that would be my thing. Talk to your friends, 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 friend. In my case, I was playing basketball with a guy who had a girlfriend, who had a girlfriend, who's having an extramarital affair with a producer, and that was my in, like direct in. It could be that remote, or it could be something direct. But talk to everybody, open yourself to, up to everybody, be open to everybody, and, and, and then have something to show them. And that, sincerely from my heart, that's how you do it. It's not an exact science, it's not mathematical, it's not quantitative, it's human. And that's another thing, you know, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but that's another thing I like about this whole enterprise. It's human. Thank you all for listening. And Jerry, thanks for letting me interview you. Always a pleasure. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Probably in a fit of panic about something involving writing. <laughs> and getting a show made, and being stressed out more than I need to be. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. Tune in next week when I interview my friends Michael and Spencer, who are writing partners and also like an old married couple, even though they're my age. But they act like an old married couple, and it's very charming. All right. Godspeed, people. Um, farewell. Be good behave. It's almost Christmas, so, you know, don't be naughty. Uh, yeah, that's it. All right. Bye-bye.